welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. Good day to you, dear listener. I hope you are well. I miss, I sincerely miss you. I wish we were chatting more often, but hey, I'm doing the best you can. Life is hectic. It's got to be respected. You know, the great river meanders and life is chaotic. And just a reminder that for many people, life is more chaotic in the spring than any other season. And it's a little bit surprising because you think everything's exploding and everything's colorful and it's just joyful, enthusiastic life outside. But for a lot of people that we seem as, as people, we seem to get stressed by transition and change. So spring is the great transition and change. Like in the last two weeks in the Northeast and the Midwest of the United States, it has exploded and Canada. We went from winter type of weather to mild winter weather, but all of a sudden, like we've had five or six days in the 70s and 80s. So everything has exploded into life. One reason that we might have more emotional challenges in the spring beyond just transition is the fact that the transition might affect us on a number of layers, not just cognitively, but actually more on a physical level. The rise of allergies can often be misconstrued as feeling depressed or anxious. And, and I experienced this last week. Last week, I was just feeling, why am I depressed? It's beautiful outside. It's spring. But I don't think I was depressed. I think I was just experiencing allergies that were manifesting as a little bit of sinus tightness and just being tired and foggy minded. But tiredness and foggy minded to me remind me of times when I'm feeling depressive. So it's not always so clear what's going on with our bodies. But actually, I was kind of frustrated myself for being depressive. And once I kind of said to myself, oh, this is probably allergies, I sort of accepted it and took some pressure off myself to get my work done or to, I don't know, feel more positive perhaps. So that's that's where I've been at and just a little bit of a anecdotal anecdotal case study for you. So today's episode I've entitled Your Annual Play Checkup. Or maybe I'll go with your annual play assessment. And so we are talking about play. I've compiled uh, a bunch of quotes that have to do with play. Last episode I was talking about how essential playing poker was for me. Uh, just essential and then I was providing some some social nutrients, some stimulating benefits of games and sports, decision making, socializing, observing, sitting at a table with others. So that was the poker version of play. But over the last few weeks I've been thinking poker is an example of, of a great game, a great situation where we can play, but there is myriad options for play across society. So what I want you to do today is if you can grab a pen and paper, a little notepad, and I want you to take some notes with me because this is your and my annual play assessment, annual play checkup. So why would we need a play checkup? I'm going to start thinking of using some of these quotes I've compiled. British developmental psychologist D.W. Winnicott says, There is for many a poverty of play. 
And Lionel Tiger, an anthropologist, says human beings need pleasure the way they need vitamins. And one more quote before I bounce back some ideas. From Peter Gray, an American psychologist, the drive to play freely is a basic biological drive. Lack of free play may not kill the physical body, as would lack of air, food, or water, but it kills the spirit and stunts mental growth. So we have here these anthropologists and these psychologists proposing that play and the pleasure and engagement that comes from play is essential. It's essential. And we often hear this, or maybe sometimes, especially with children, oh, children need to play. That's where they learn. But I want to remind us that we all need to play. The theory that I subscribe to with developmental psychology is that we're, we're essentially adding layers so that our seven-year-old self is still alive within us. A lot of the yearnings and feelings and understanding of the world by seven years old is a is a firm part of who we are still at adults and many of the things that gave us joy as children would still give us joy today some of the sports and games and the types of engagements so it's good for us to remember this and so we're reflecting on the play and the spaces for play in for children in society but we're also reflecting today on the spaces of play for teenagers for young adults for adults of all ages, for elders, where is play in our lives? And how is that changing throughout the life cycle? And how do we re-engage play? British author G.K. Chesterton says, the true object of all human life is play. The true object of all human life is play. Whoa, I mean, whoa, whoa, that is a big one. I encourage you to jot that down and just take a few days this week to think about that. Is the, is the true object of human life play? In the broadest sense, perhaps, because maybe for some of us, our work and our pursuits have a playful atmosphere to them. I don't know. What do you think? Right into the show. Leave us a message on the website, weatherofthemind.org. So, so play is not just about the individual, individual's health, because play can be solitary, but a lot of play is a very social activity because we are social human beings. So let me start with uh, the first question I have for you uh, on your you know, self-assessment, your play self-checkup. List, I want you to list places where you pl have played, have found play, have engaged in play in the last year. Now these can be um, solitary or they can be collective and you could note that. And if they're collective play, make a note of who you played with. So, oh, I played on a softball team, for example. And I, you know, I play with my softball team. And think about that whole event, you know, getting ready for the game, playing the game, and then what did you do after? Because sometimes it could be this whole playful sandwich. Because I know when I played softball, we'd have fun playing, but then we'd also have a beer or two after, and it would be a, just a really big social recharge in a playful environment, which I'm not doing right now. And maybe I'll think, ah, I should get back on a sports team. 
because that was some playful time built into my schedule. So what are, where is play in your life? And if you want, you could also, well, we'll do the kids at the, we'll reflect back on the kids at the end, but basically all these questions are true for you and your kids or your students or your nephew or your niece, whoever, anytime you were working with children, observing how play is present or not pleasant in their experience. You can be the steward of other people's play, both with fellow adults or with the children. So where are you finding play? And if we think about what are different types of play, certainly there's sports, certainly there's games. So we have like a mental and physical type of games and sports, which we engage in trying to compete for a goal or some sort of structure and following some rules making decisions but what about less structured play what about painting is painting a form of play is that a form of solitary play can you play with other people and that be a sort of hybrid solitary collective play good for us introverts out there what about playing music how about when i put on the radio and i sing along to breakfast with the beatles that to me seems like a form of joyful play is that play singing with other people i think so what about uh, romantic play? That's a, that's something that's a part of our lives at different parts of our lives and more so than others. And sometimes there's no romantic play in our lives and other times there's more romantic play in our lives. Let's go back to some quotes here. So I, have, I found a few quotes that relate to play and culture. So if play is fundamental to the individual and to the, to the family and to the friends, then it's de facto fundamental to the society at large. Here's a quote from Johan Huizinga. Huizinga, actually a Dutch historian in the early 1900s. Ritual grew up in sacred play. Poetry was born in play and nourished on play. Music and dancing were pure play. We have to conclude, therefore, that civilization is, in its earliest phases, played. It does not come from play. It arises in and as play and never leaves it. Whoa, that one is due for, I'm going to run that one back. Because we're talking about how play is this fertile, creative, human, social, frequently breeding ground for connection and engagement Ritual, this is the quote, ritual grew up in sacred play. Poetry was born in play and nourished on play. Music and dancing were pure play. We have to conclude, therefore, that civilization is, in its earliest phases, played. It does not come from play. It arises in and as play and never leaves it. Ho, 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 ho. Woo, all time. Banger of a quote there. Tough act to follow, but I have here American philosopher George Santayana, early 1900s philosopher. Quote, to the art of working well, a civilized race would add the art of playing well. So we've got a society that works well, that works too much, that is many people are struggling to pay their normal bills and working more than one job. So we've, we know how to work well. Are we forgetting as a society how to play well? 
and maybe play well as part of the way society grows and heals, just as the individual grows and heals through play. Ooh-hoo. We're hitting some fun notes today. I hope you're enjoying the ride. To me, this is sort of playful, this sort of philosophical brainstorming, throwing out some questions, explore, jotting down some notes. It feels fertile. It feels spring-like. Thanks for joining in. I'm going to go back from the quotes now to back to our play assessment. And the next question I have is, what about play goals? Now that you're starting to assess your where your play is at now or has been for the last year, both you and maybe your kids, the question is, where would you like to see this play progress in the future? Do you want to see more romantic play in your life? Do you want to see more art play, more music play? Do you want to see more physical sports type play? Do you want to see more mental, social game-like play. Where do you want to find play? How can you proactively find more play that resonates with your spirit? Maybe it's solitary play or just introverted one-on-one play. Hmm, play, play, play. Okay, back to the quotes. I want to talk a little bit more about kids because a lot of the the thought and focus on the research on play has to do with kids. But again, if we're building healthy kids, we're also reflecting on how to build healthy adults. And I think that most of what we learn about building healthy kids is still true for continuing healthy growth as adults. Just as play is universally important for kids to grow up healthy, it very well may be essential nutrients to adults as well. But let's Let's reflect a little bit. I have a few quotes here about kids and play. Susan Lynn, American psychiatrist, contemporary. Play is the foundation of learning, creativity, self-expression, and constructive problem solving. It's how children wrestle with life to make it meaningful. Oh, wow. I mean, we have a crisis of meaning, a confusion of meaning uh, in our society. How to, what's, what is life all about? What's a worthwhile life? How do I live a good life? These type of philosophical questions got to be explored. And what Susan Lynn is reminding us is that a lot of that might be figured out within the world of play. Run that one back. Play is the foundation of learning, creativity, self-expression, and constructive problem solving. It's how children wrestle with life. To make it meaningful. A little bit from Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers says play gives children a chance to practice what they are learning. I personally am a frustrated ex-teacher. And I felt we were giving the kids so much learning, learning. So much STEM. So much memorization. And not enough play. Reducing art. Reducing music. Not having enough gym. Too much structured time, not working as groups, just listening to a lecture and being told to take notes and memorize it. So I agree with Fred Rogers here. Play gives children a chance to practice what they're learning. It's all about practice. I'm talking about practice here. This practice. 
Anybody get the reference? Okay. Caroline Paul, who is a contemporary author, says, risky play. Here we go. Risk, right? Risk and reward. That's what we're doing in poker. Just constantly managing risk-reward. So she's saying, risky play is really important for kids. All kids. Because it teaches hazard assessment. It teaches delayed gratification. It teaches resilience. It teaches confidence. When kids get outside and practice bravery, they learn valuable life lessons. Oh, got to run another one back here. Risky play is really important for kids, all kids, because it teaches, ha teaches hazard assessment. It teaches delayed gratification. It teaches resilience. It teaches confidence. When kids get outside and practice bravery, they learn valuable life lessons. So a lot of play is about engaging risk-reward, engaging decision-makings, going out of your comfort zone. This next quote talks about going out of your comfort zone, and this is by another early 1900s. This is a Russian psychologist, Lev Vygotsky. Quote, in play, a child always behaves beyond his average age, above his daily behavior. In play, it is as though he were a head taller than themselves. So here, a child is pushing their boundaries. They get to be, they're not under the reign of constant authority of parents. They might be under the reign of the authority of the rules of the game, but they are free actors in that game. And they get to just be themselves and explore the boundaries and explore their fears and risks. And then they, and then they get a taste of reward, they get a taste of defeat. This is life. Life is a game. We are playing life. Let's practice playing. <laughs> okay, we're throwing it back old school. To Plato, Plato, one of our early Greek philosophers around 400 BC. Plato's on the record for saying, do not keep children to their studies by compulsion, but by play. There it is. Do not keep children to their studies by compulsion, but by play. How do we engage this natural desire to play in the human animal how do we how do we engage this and let it let it be a part of constant growth throughout life and constant joy frankly jane mcgonigal game desire says playing a game together actually builds up bonds and trust and cooperation we actually build stronger social relationships as a result we live in a time of poverty of play. We live in a time of poverty of deep social interactions face-to-face. -face. Richard Feynman, American physicist, says, Play is hard to maintain as you get older. You get less playful. You shouldn't, of course. So a great mind reminding us that we got to keep playing. One more from Fred Rogers. It's the things we play with and the people who help us play that make a great difference in our lives. I've often said that mentors make a huge difference in our lives because they create a space where we can be ourselves and get some guidance of some sort or just, just, just be held in a place to be ourselves and to explore, to wander, to wonder. And I think play is another social space that allows us to wonder, to wander. Yeah, he's going for a, a kind of a 
blissful wandering stroll is that a form of play i i want i think it i think it just might be a, i think it just might be a form of play i feel playful right now okay i'm gonna leave one more quote here oh before we get to our final quote I would like to propose a book club. I'm going to get a copy of this book and read it and do a little book review if you'd like to join. It is the book by Peter Gray called Free to Learn, Why Unleashing the Instinct of Play Will Make Our Children Happier, More Self-Reliant, and Better Students for Life. So that is by Peter Gray, Free to Learn. Pick up a copy from your local library or bookstore and give it a read and I will do the same. And... Uh, Within a month or two, we'll do a little uh, further discussion. If you have any other thoughts or questions on play, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You have options to connect by voice or by email on the website, weatherofthemind.org. One more quote for you. This is from the book Little Woman by Louisa May Alcott. Quote, have regular hours for work and play. Make each day both useful and pleasant, and prove that you understand the worth of time by employing it well. The youth will bring few regrets, and life will become a beautiful success. I just like the notion there of having regular hours for work and play. Make each day both useful and pleasant. So just as we are prioritizing work and productive time, how do we prioritize play and i think we we make time for leisure and certainly watching others play poker on tv or watching others play baseball or other sport is vicariously engaging and has its value but can we find venues where we are the ones playing baseball or softball or poker or chess or painting with our friends so I hope you've written down a few things in your notebook and I would love to hear about what you have got out of this brainstorm. It's been a real pleasure to spend a few weeks brainstorming it and pulling some ideas together. I hope it provided some fertile nutrients for the weather of your minds. Living and learning, wishing you well. Peace. Bye-bye.